Good work. We do have joy because Jesus has come and uh, he rules the world. He reigns. He's king. And uh, so thank you, Naomi, for sharing your gift with us and pointing us to Jesus in that way. Well, uh, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open up to the book of Daniel. That's in the Old Testament. We spend uh, the weeks leading up to Christmas each year looking through an Old Testament book that will help us to long for the coming of Jesus. And we started this summer looking through Daniel 1 through 6, and then we took a break to finish John, and now last week we jumped back into the book of Daniel. And we acknowledged last week that the last half of Daniel is much harder to understand than the first half of Daniel. Last week I enjoyed preaching from Daniel chapter 7, which so clearly points to this good news that yes, things will get worse, but we have hope because God, our holy God, will one day judge. That evil will not go on progressing forever and ever, but God will judge. And God has given eternal dominion and reign to His Son, Jesus, who sits on the throne and who will come again, and all who belong to Him will reign with Him. That's what we saw in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 through 12 is a different kind of writing. That's why it's harder to understand. It's not something that most of us are used to reading. Somebody just told me this morning, I just read through this two times before the worship service. I don't get it. Uh, So we're going to work on that again together today. But you might remember from last week I told you that Daniel 7 through 12 is apocalyptic literature. Here's what that is. It's basically a type of writing that uses lots of images and visions and symbols to reveal reality to people in a dire state. We talked also last week about how this image that we've been using for uh, the series is really helpful because in biblical prophecy and apocalyptic literature, oftentimes there are multiple fulfillments. So we talked about imagining ourselves standing in a mountain range. And so we may see right before us a mountain peak. Right? So you've been to the mountains before, maybe, and you can imagine standing before and seeing in clear vision right before you a mountain peak, only to find that if you were to get around or over or above that peak, you would find more peaks beyond that. And what we get in Daniel 7 through 12 is like a zoomed out view, that we're from up here, almost from God's perspective, able to see all of these things that all of these visions and dreams and symbols and signs are all pointing to, And we can maybe see some of the things more clearly and some things still seem far off in the distance and they're not maybe quite as clear, but we know it's all there. And so that's maybe a helpful way to look at looking at a passage like Daniel 8, which we're looking at today. In today's passage, we're going to see this. Again, the structure looks almost exactly the same as chapter 7. That is, at the beginning, you have Daniel who's writing this book in the year uh, around 500-something B.C., Daniel having a vision. That's in the first 14 verses. And in the last half, that vision is interpreted. This also happened in chapter 7. Daniel had a vision. The vision was interpreted. In the first six chapters of the book, you might remember, it was other kings that were having visions, and Daniel was doing the interpreting. Now, in this one, you think it's hard to understand. Daniel couldn't even understand it, and he needed an angel to come and interpret it for him. 
Okay, so that's what's happening in this passage. Here's the big idea for today. The big idea that we'll see in this passage is this. Dark times will come before the light breaks in. But we trust the God who has a detailed plan for the future. So, let's, uh, again, in, in like last week, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, after I read Scripture now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at the first 14 verses. I want you to listen closely as we read it, because I'm going to refer back to it as we look at the interpretation, but we're not going to go over them in detail in the message. And so listen in as I read God's Word. This is what the Bible is. The Bible is the very Word of God. And so our custom is, if you're able, would you stand as we read God's Word, all of Daniel chapter 8 today. Let's pray first. Father, we need your help. And again, I'm so thankful for your Holy Spirit who dwells in all of us who trust in Jesus. The same Holy Spirit who inspired uh, these words to be written down and the same Holy Spirit who now must be at work to illuminate these words and to bring understanding and to shape and form us as we seek to hear your word and be molded by it. Please do that now for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 8. It says this. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me. Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in the vision, and I I was at the Uli Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the bank of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the hosts and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of the host. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, and the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, together with the regular burnt offering, because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground, and it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. 
When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that this vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand up. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints." By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Amen. You can be seated. And some of you could say, Amen, Daniel. I don't understand it either. Right? We're going to work on it. And I think part of the reason that Daniel can't understand it is because, again, he's probably just overwhelmed by standing in this mountain range and feeling really small. But this is one of the passages that sometimes the fulfillment seems to be something really far off. And it was far off for Daniel. But in this passage especially, this is one that we can look back and we can see how God clearly was fulfilling this passage for the 400 years after Daniel's time. So much of this has already been fulfilled, but much of this also points to Jesus. So in your sermon notes and application guide there, you'll see the first two points go over this passage, and the final point gets us to Jesus where our hope really lies. So how many of you can think of someone who maybe uh, was looking forward to retirement, Uh, that they had worked hard for many years and looking forward to this day when retirement would come, maybe there was a retirement party and they had all these plans for here's how things are going to do. Maybe job, the job had gotten stressful and they really couldn't wait till this day I'm going to get retired and then I'll have this freedom to do these things I want to do and everything's going to get better. How many of you have known somebody like that who experienced that only to find that shortly after that something tragic might happen? Maybe it was a health crisis. Maybe it was the death of a spouse. And this thing they had so longed for is suddenly filled with darkness instead. I think that might be a bit of where we're at here in Daniel chapter 8. God's people were to be in exile for 70 years, and it's been about 60 now. 
there's only a little bit of time left. Maybe the countdown has started for those that might remember. I think probably a lot of them don't remember, but some of them might, and their expectation might be things are going to get better soon. We're only going to be in exile for this many years. Then we get to go back, and things are going to be good. And then Daniel has this vision, this vision that before the light comes, there's going to be a whole lot of darkness. And did you hear Daniel's response at the end? He lay in bed sick. He was appalled by the vision. It's not that just around the corner everything was going to get better. It was more like for a long time things are going to get worse. But eventually things are going to get better. So we're going to look at this a bit today. Again, we're going to go through these first 14 verses quite quickly. So hopefully you were listening as I read. But the first two verses just give us the setting. Daniel, at least in the vision, is transported from where he's at in Babylon to about 200-some miles off to the east. Susa is the capital, will be the, the capital of the kingdom of Persia. And so his vision is taking place there. It even gives us the year. It's the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, so it's around the year 550 B.C. If you remember, Daniel was taken captive as a teenager probably in the year 605 B.C. So this is now 55 years later. But it's only two years after the vision from Daniel 7. Tracking? That's where we're at. Okay? So this is just setting the time and the place, which is important. And then this vision is a little simpler than the one last week. Last week we had four beasts and ten horns plus another horn. This week we just have a couple of beasts and five horns altogether. Okay? What, what is he talking about? Well, first he talks about a ram. Okay? And for some of you, the way you take notes, you're writing all these things down. For some of you, you might want to draw pictures. This would be an appropriate time for you to doodle and draw pictures because that's what Daniel's seeing. He's seeing pictures. And the picture that he sees is a picture of a ram. And it's a ram that has two horns, a ram that has power and becomes great. So Daniel, remember right now, is living under captivity and Babylon is the world power. But he's having this vision of a ram with two horns and one of them becoming greater than the other one. But this ram has power. What does that mean? Well, we're going to have to wait till later to find out because there's more to the vision. The second part of the vision is a goat. So first you got a ram, then you got a goat. And the goat has one horn, a conspicuous horn in the middle. Uh, so kind of like a unicorn goat kind of thing, it sounds like, right? So there's a horn in the middle of the goat's forehead, and that goat has great power, comes and defeats the ram. Notice that it says in verse 5, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth. So pretty specific here. The goat is coming from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground. That means with great speed. This, this vision. So it's not just a picture, it's like a video in his mind. And in this video, in this vision, he's seeing not just this powerful ram with two horns over here, now he's seeing a goat coming from the west, charging at the ram, and the goat strikes the ram, tramples on him, has even greater power, and the goat becomes exceedingly great. Okay? So that's the vision. And this goat has one horn, not two but then something happens in verses 8 and following, and that is, it says, The goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. 
So the great horn gets broken, and instead comes up four horns. So four horns replace that one, and out of one of those four horns comes a little horn, and that grew exceedingly great. And then we read of the destructive power of this one horn. This one horn seems to be bent on destroying God's people who desire to worship God. We see that when we talk about it, talking about him throwing down the stars, uh, talking about the prince of the host, talking about how the regular burnt offerings are taken away. The sanctuary is overthrown. He's throwing truth to the ground. Okay? So this horrible vision of how there's going to be this ram, and then there's going to be this goat, and then there's going to be these four horns, and then there's going to be one horn that comes out of that. And the ultimate end is that God's people are going to experience great destruction under the power of this final little horn that he talks about here. And so, he's also given a time. For how long is the vision? And there's a specific time given. For 2,300 evenings and mornings. And some of you are doing math in your head, and some of you want to get out your phone and do the math. That's a little over six years, right? 2,300 evenings and mornings. And then look at what it says will happen. Then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. So God's people already had kind of been taken away from their temple. And now this vision is something about sometime in the future where there will be restoration. But before the restoration comes a lot of destruction. So we kind of understand the basics of the vision. That's the skeleton of it. Let's look at the interpretation. Interpretation we get in verses 15 to 28. When Daniel begins trying to understand the vision. And then he hears this voice that tells Gabriel, the angel, to come and help him understand the vision. And a couple of times we hear this language that's part of the interpretation. And that is that this vision that you're having, that's about the time of the end. Now, really quickly, what our minds would race to is, oh, okay, so this has nothing to do with that time in history. This is about end times kind of stuff, which would be the kind of way that we might naturally read that. Um, But because of some of the things that we're going to see in the interpretation, I think it's also certainly possible, and most, most everybody would point to it being very possible in this case, that when he's talking about the times of the end, he's just saying, this is a long time from now. After, after you're dead, most of this is going to happen, Daniel. We're not talking about tomorrow, Daniel. We're talking about stuff far off. That's even the language he'll use later in the passage. So, what is it? This is one of the times where we're given a really, really clear interpretation. Like, we don't have to, like, scratch our head and say, well, this might be this, and this might be this, and this might be that. He just says it. Gabriel just announces it. So, remember, there was first this ram with two horns, and one becomes bigger than the other? Listen to what it says in verse 20. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. Well, that's simple. There's going to be this one empire... That's the representative of the goat, and there's going to be kind of two kings, the kings of Media and Persia. One's going to become greater than the other, and that is Persia. Okay, so we already have that first one identified in the passage itself. Verse 20 gives that to us. And the cool thing is, this actually happened. 
following the Babylonian Empire, not too many years from when Daniel is having this vision, this would begin to take place. Media and Persia would be the next major empire to take over that part of the world. In fact, they would rule over that part of the world. Remember, Daniel's having this vision in about 550 B.C.? This would start to happen in 538 B.C., like 12 years later, and it would go all the way for 200 more years till 331 B.C. So, so this is where we can start to be a little bit amazed. Like, oh, this vision that God is giving to Daniel reveals clearly that God has a detailed plan for what's going to happen with the nation. And it gets even more incredible when you look at what we see next. Verse 21, and the goat, remember that was the other beast, the goat. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. The great horn is the first king of Greece, which is symbolized by the goat. All right, so now we've got a little more information. Now, think about this. Daniel's having this vision in like 550 B.C., and he writes it all down not too long after that. When does all this happen? When does Greece become the world power? This, again, this actually happened. Who, the, the Alexander the Great, we call him, king of Greece, would go on a rampage from the years 334 B.C. to 331 B.C. He came from the west. Remember this, this uh, goat comes from the west and it says not even touching the ground? I mean, think of how, how he would have to take a vast army and cover and conquer this huge land coming from the west, stretching all the way to India is where he would get in the course of three years. And here Daniel's having this vision 200 years before it takes place. That the, the king of Greece is going to rise up, come from the west, and take over. Power is going to exceed that of the ram, of Media and Persia before him, wiping them out. Incredible, isn't it, that God has a detailed plan and it gets actually worked out. Verse 22, As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, Four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. So after Alexander the Great, he's that great horn in the middle. After that's broken off, there's going to be a division of the kingdom into four. Do you think that actually happened? Yeah, it did. Alexander the Great, king of Greece, dies in 323 B.C. He tries to initially, I mean initially the kingdom goes to his two sons. That didn't work out, so it gets divided into four. And I have them listed up on the screen there. So again, this is all happening 200 years after Daniel has the vision. But in detail, the the thing that he had envisioned and the interpretation that came through Gabriel is taking place. And then we're told of one more horn. Remember that other horn, that horn that would seem to be bent on the destruction of God's people. He shall cause fearful destruction, it says in verse 24. He shall destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. He shall destroy many, it says in verse 25. And it would happen many days from now. So out of those four kingdoms that come from Alexander the Great and 
rule over uh, the Greek Empire. There's going to be one that comes from them. And this one is going to be bent on destroying God's people. Did that happen? Yep. So this is, like some of you are like, oh, I'm not really into history. I'm not really into the, these images. Like this is this is impressive, is it not? This is this is pretty amazing. I, I was trying to explain this. To, I, I studied it this week. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I was trying to explain it to my family, and they kind of got it. Uh, so hopefully, you're kind of getting it too. But this actually happened. Antiochus Epiphanes would begin ruling in the year 175 B.C. And he would persecute the people of God. And a lot of times they point to the beginning of his great persecution being when he had the high priest killed in the year 170 B.C. Until, remember it said in verse 14, I think it was until that time when the sanctuary is restored. That actually happened. December 14th, 164 B.C. And so, we look at all of that and we see how specifically all these different things get identified. Let me, let me just put it up this way, because some of you, like, that was just too many words. And so, I took some time uh, to kind of make it more like a timeline kind of thing, sort of. So, on the left, uh, here's where Daniel is right now. Daniel's in Babylon the Babylonian Empire rules, and Daniel's living in it in the year 550 B.C. That's when he has the vision. The very next thing that happens is that there's this ram, and the ram signifying these kingdoms of Persia and Media. I put Persia in capital letters because that's the one that becomes greater. That's followed by Alexander the Great, king of Greece, who comes and takes over a ton of land in a short amount of time. That's broken up into four kingdoms. Uh, beginning uh, around the year 323 B.C. when he dies. That's immediately followed. uh, Over time, coming from that comes this ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes, beginning his reign in 175, starting persecution in 170, ending in 164 B.C. when a man by the name of Judas Maccabeus leads a group of people in revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes, and they... Let me tell you a couple of things that this guy did. So remember it said he was going to defile the sanctuary, do all these things? It said in detail, this is what's going to happen. Again, 400 years later, guess what happens? Exactly what he said. Antiochus Epiphanes wanted to do away with any kind of religious practice that didn't acknowledge him as the one who ought to be worshipped. And so he was a dictator forcing everyone in his kingdom to get rid of their old religious practices, one of them being Jewish people cannot make sacrifices in the temple. Remember in the vision, regular burnt offerings are going to be done away with. He comes and he makes the rule, you can't do that. He would desecrate the temple. Remember that for Jewish people, there were clean and unclean animals and pigs were unclean animals. So you know what he did? Brought a pig into the temple and had it sacrificed on the altar. He brought some little god descended from Zeus or something like that. And he knew where he put that? In the Holy of Holies. This man sought to, in every way that he could, desecrate the temple of the people of God. And so, we're not surprised that God's people would come alongside this man named Judas Maccabeus, who would rise up against him in a revolt. And God granted them victory, that they would come and take over the temple 
once again. And in 164 BC, that's just what happened. They came and they cleansed it. They rededicated the temple to the Lord. This is what Jewish people still today celebrate as Hanukkah or the festival of lights. Here in the darkest time of year, light came in. And so they, they light the menorah at Hanukkah or the feast of lights to commemorate this day in 164 which Daniel had a vision about in the year 550 400 years before all right so some of you tracking you're excited some of you not as much (laughs) but here's what we're gonna do I want us to recognize that what we're seeing here is kind of like the, the near-peak fulfillment. Remember, if we're looking at a zoomed-out view, are there ways that these things might play out again still in the future? I think so. But, but here we can clearly see, here's one really specific fulfillment of this. All right, so they celebrate Hanukkah. God's detailed plan laid out in Daniel's vision was worked out in detail over the course of the next 400 years following the vision. I think that's pretty cool. Now, How does Daniel feel about all this? Remember that last verse? Daniel doesn't feel so good about it. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. Now, you might remember that last week I mentioned that I'm not going through Daniel 7 through 12 because I feel like I got this all figured out or we're going to go through it and we're going to have the end times all figured out, or this is, like, we're not going through it for any of those reasons. We're going through this because it's the Word of God, and yes, it's hard to understand. Even the guy to whom it's coming says, I don't really understand it. And so it's okay for us to be a little bit in the dark as far as all these details and how they'll work themselves out. But I also think we need to recognize that as we can look back at historical records and see how God brought all these things to come, that matters for us today. So, point of application. Some of you pay a lot of attention to current events. You look at poll results. You listen to news commentary. You read lots of articles. You like to know what's going on in the world around us. And the more I think you're concerned or, or, or paying attention to what's going on in the world around us, the more reasons there might be for confusion and concern. Right? If we look at what's happening in the world around us, and you can fill in the blank with what might confuse you. Maybe you're looking at oh, divisive national politics, and what does that mean for the future of our nation four years from now, let alone 400 years from now? Maybe you're looking at violations of religious liberty that are starting to kind of creep in here but are especially profound in many other parts of the world. From here, consequences to not going along with the moral revolution that embraces same-sex marriage and gender fluidity and all of those kinds of things. Or you can look at a place like China who is increasing their attempts to identify, retrain, or restrain anyone who practices their religion in a way that compromises loyalty to the communist state of China. We can look at all these things, and we can and maybe ought to be concerned, maybe a bit confused. What is it going to look like in the world in the years to come? Things that concern or confuse us. How is this all going to turn out? You know, from our vantage point, (laughs) 
And even from the vantage point of all the experts that they interview uh, in the various news media, the reality is we're not much better than weather forecasters who really don't have a clue what's going to happen, do we? doesn't matter how educated we get as far as like predicting what's going to happen in this nation and what's going to happen here. In the, I don't know. But if we zoom out and we see things from God's perspective, isn't it refreshing to see that God has a detailed plan that will be worked out? Do we trust that God has a detailed plan that he will work out? We know that this plan might include some dark valleys. It's not like, hey, Pretty soon, everything's just going to get way better. We don't know that. In fact, it seems more likely that things are probably going to get worse. But do we trust that God has a detailed plan that he will work out? Because he did in Daniel's day, didn't he? And he clearly worked it out in detail over the next 400 years. And, And what I hope today is that just looking through that really quick also gives us confidence. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like for the next 400 years. But I do trust that God has a detailed plan for how it will all work out. Uh, Here's what I know. Maps are going to change. I had a student in my office this week looking at my globe, wondering what year it was from because it wasn't totally up to date. You know what? Our globe's not going to be totally up to date. And 10 years from now, the map will look different. Maps will change, but we can hold on to this confidently. God doesn't. So that's hopefully one thing we can walk away from this all with. But here's the thing. If I just stopped right there, I wouldn't be preaching a Christian sermon. Right? I, I, I could just as well have said anything I just said to a Jewish audience. A Jewish audience preparing themselves now, again, to celebrate Hanukkah. That in the midst of darkness, their light had come. Judas Maccabeus had come and restored worship in the temple. But here's the deal. I'm not stopping there because the Bible doesn't stop there. So here's what I want to look at to close this morning. I want to look at how God not only used the angel Gabriel in the year 550 B.C., to speak to a man named Daniel to help him understand the vision. I want to listen in when the angel Gabriel is sent to somebody else, somebody unexpected, somebody that we read about in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33, when the angel Gabriel shows up to talk to a young virgin named Mary. So turn there in your Bible if you have a Bible with you. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. You see how how going through the Old Testament helps us long for and look to Jesus? Here's what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, 
You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. See, all that we've seen so far in the book of Daniel has pointed ahead to this Jesus. And what a privilege that the one who gets to hear the specific details of God's plan is this young virgin named Mary. He's the one that God is going to use to bring this Jesus, fully God, fully man, into the world. And he is the one who will be truly great. Yeah, this other nation's going to come, and that king's going to be great, and that king's going to be great. Maybe even someday there's, there's going to be this little horn might refer also to, to the Antichrist. He's going to be great. But you know what? There ain't nobody greater than Jesus who is going to come into the world through Mary, the young virgin to whom Gabriel is speaking on that day in Nazareth in Galilee. And of his reign and kingdom, there will be no end. This is good news. So after the evil, destructive reign of Antiochus Epiphanes in the 170s and 160s B.C., yes, it's good news that God would empower a man named Judas Maccabeus to come and restore worship at the temple. And that's something worth celebrating. But we celebrate something better than Hanukkah. In the darkest season of the year, we don't light the menorah, but we look ahead to Jesus, who is the light of the world. Right? In John's Gospel, you might remember when we started it way back at the beginning in John chapter 1, this was the message of John and John the Baptist. Jesus is the light of the world. Things had gotten dark again for God's people. And then Jesus comes. There was darkness, and then there was light. Into the darkness, God sends light. This happens in the birth of Jesus. This happens in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Remember when Jesus was put on the cross. He was put on the cross to bear our sins. And remember what happens in the land as Jesus hangs there on the cross, as the wrath of the Father is poured out on the Son who, who, who hangs there in our place? Remember what happens? Three hours, the land turns dark until Jesus dies and his body is taken off the cross and his body is buried in a dark tomb. And to make the darkness even darker, a stone is rolled in front of it. And Jesus' body lays there in that tomb until on the third day there was darkness and there was light as Jesus, the eternal King, comes out of the tomb, risen to reign forevermore soon to ascend after appearing to many he soon ascends into heaven where he sits at the right hand of the throne of God awaiting a day in which he will return and before that day comes church we can expect days of darkness but after the darkness is done light will break through so the question for us as we close today is this, are you prepared? Like I know, like you got some shopping to do this week for Christmas. Whatever. That's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. Everybody, are you ready for Christmas? I don't even know what that means. 
But here's the question that we do need to answer. Are you ready for Jesus to come back again? We're celebrating in Christmas the time that he came once. But are you ready for Jesus to come back again? Christian, are, are you ready for the dark times that might precede that? Are you, are you developing a theology of suffering, a theology that helps you to understand, whatever comes my way, God, I'm going to trust you. Do you have that kind of confidence in God's sovereignty, that he has a detailed plan for everything, and when it looks like everything's unraveling and falling apart, you can say, no, it's not. I know the God who's sovereign over every detail. Are you prepared, Christian? And those of you who do not yet trust in Jesus, I can answer that question for you. You're not prepared. You're not prepared for the second coming of Jesus because you have not yet put your faith in Jesus. And that day will be a dreadful day for you unless today is the day where light breaks into darkness, where your eyes blinded to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ are opened as the Holy Spirit comes, breathes new life into you. And you today for the first time say, I'm not king anymore, but I know the one who came to reign forever and I'm giving my life to him. He's the one who is the lamb who was slain, who died for me. He took my place. He bore the cross for me. And now I put my faith in him and live with him as my king. You can do that by simply praying to him today. That's the best way to get ready for Christmas. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'd love to talk with you about that, to have that kind of confidence that Pastor Stan talked about, that Don had, to, to look even in the face of the death, the, the, the darkness of death with great hope because of the sure resurrection that follows for all who trust in Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about that. Let's pray. Oh God, I'm just, uh, I'm just really thankful because I'm not all that smart and I have a hard time understanding your words sometimes. But I thank you for the way that your spirit worked in me to help me understand it a little bit better. Pray that your spirit would continue to work as we not just look at hard passages. There's a lot of stuff a lot easier than Daniel chapter 8. I pray that the church would, uh, would commit to reading your word because your Holy Spirit does help us to see and understand and also your Holy Spirit molds our hearts and our minds as we read it. So I pray that we would do that this week. And I pray that even as we look at maybe some current events, that we would recognize that we don't have to live in fear because you, God, are sovereign over every single detail. We don't know the future of this nation or any other nation. We don't even know the future of what the rest of this week is going to be like. But God, we do trust you that every Every bit of it is completely within your good and sovereign reign. And God, I thank you for sending Jesus, your son, so that we can have hope in the midst of darkness, even the darkness of death, that we can look to him, the one who took our place, who died in our place for our sin, that we might have hope in him. And for any that are here this morning and not yet prepared for the day when Jesus returns, I pray that there would be an increased longing even to the point of new birth that would happen today through faith in Jesus. Thank you that we can trust you, a good God who is powerful and who is sovereign over all things. So we sing a song of praise and worship to you in Jesus' name. Amen.